0: are you tired of being sheep well so is he get a friend get informed and get involved it's we're not cattle radio
1: Welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, every Tuesday and Thursday night from 9 until 11 p.m., trying to give you some semblance of, I guess, hope and reality in an otherwise insane world that we live in now. And I don't know if it's just due to the influx of information that we have via the internet or if it's just that the world is going collectively crazy. So, tons of news to get into today. And as usual, I'm sitting there doing some reviews of all the notes and articles that I've read throughout the day and throughout the week and have certain points that I want to make on certain issues. And then the proverbial monkey wrench gets thrown in. And so right now, I am dealing with the monkey wrench of the banksters. So I will get into all of that because that is, as Daniel Tosh would say, the na na boo boo stick stick-your-head-in-doo-doo moment for all of the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists. You know, the people that believe... The people with power would want to expand their power and gain more power and crush other nations and put them under their thumb, so to speak. Because nations have never done that throughout history. Leaders have never wanted to enslave people. That's just conspiracy theory. Well, no matter what age of civilization we're in, there are still going to be that group of people that will always seek to dominate, control and contain the masses whether they believe it's for our benefit or theirs that's what they want to do and there's an article that came out on vice that um, Greg Pallas broke about I don't know 15 hours ago and I just caught wind of it about 2 hours ago but it's just if you're looking for the double secret probation aspect of it it is in their own words and I'm going to read the document here you know, Alex Jones you know, I I have the documents you know, one of those things I have them right here well now we don't have to do that stuff because it's all over the internet so thank you for joining us um, it is, good gosh it is already the 22nd day of August 2013 And we're going to be live here for the next two hours. i got a couple of guys that are going to be calling in. I don't know if it's going to be during the show, later on in the show. But as we've been following the Syria thing, whether it's you yourself as the individual, or if it's a media organization, or if it's just your little inner circle talking about what's going on over there, the American media has a very biased opinion and agenda when it comes to the Middle East. Now before I get into that, let me just kind of recap where we're at here with Syria. This has been going on for quite some time. I remember when I first did my... I think it was my second oh it was my first protest at uh, in the Fed rally in downtown Atlanta. It's where I actually got to meet my friend Daryl Young for the first time, the uh, producer of Adam vs the Man, and I'm doing an incredible job over there, guys, with Adam being locked up and you know under the jail cell and in solitary confinement, you know, for how dare he go and and challenge challenge the Almighty State as far as imaginary lines drawn on imaginary or imaginary borders drawn with imaginary lines by human beings saying that freedom is welcome here, but it is not welcome here. And the reason that I get so upset about the gun rights issue and the Second Amendment is because in case you had missed it, or you probably didn't miss it, you knew about this. You just kind of forgot somewhere along the way through your you know eleven years of or twelve years of government brainwashing and and then continued on if you went to college, you got some more um more brainwashing as you went through the the liberally slanted state run institutions that's why they are called you know state universities and stuff like that people they get they get state funding for it. So they're not going to tell you just some really common sense core beliefs of what are called natural rights. Now, you have laws and human rights, which are... Human rights would be that um let's see that i'm not going to um that I'm not going to go rob somebody next door to me and take all of their stuff and and never give it back to them that's that's a That's a human right for you to have that that's you know going to be covered under under law under some kind of regulation, even though under common law it would be completely acceptable that you don't steal from somebody. But when it comes to what are called natural rights, those are the rights that you are given once you are born onto this rock that spends 6,000 miles an hour out in the middle of a universe. That is something that you're born with. You're born with the ability to protect yourself, your family, and your possessions. You don't have, to have, you don't have to go to some government agency and fill out papers and sign regulations or excuse me and waive your rights to due process and things like that in order to get these things. That's your right as an individual on this planet. Now some of you are going to disagree, but here is the, here is the one thing that I always revert to when it comes down to basic natural rights. I wonder how many of us ever think about it. I think about it, but I don't think about it in the in the doom and gloom scenario of the world. But I do think about it from time to time. There's a reason that I have storable food. There's a reason that I have a water filtration system. There's a reason that I have a portable water filtration system. And it's not because I live paranoid. It's because I live in power. And the reason that I say I live empowered is because... Imagine that if tomorrow then an EMP hit the United States, or worse yet, somebody hacked the power grid as they did in Brazil a couple of years ago. Imagine how your world would change tomorrow if you woke up, or even during this broadcast, if you lost all electrical components for at least over two-year period. Anybody that I've ever heard talk about the, the – um, Oh my gosh, the electrical grid here in America says that if you had a complete shutdown, it would take about two and a half years to get the entire thing up and running. And that's not including Wi-Fi and all these other internets that we live with now. Internets, that's pretty funny. That we live with now as a, we look at it as a I guess, as a staple of American life. Much like what Ben Swan talked about in his interview with Trip Hugh, he said that Americans have a very, Western culture in and of itself has a very distorted sense of what a need is as opposed to a want. In America, a need is a cell phone. In America, a need is the internet. Third world nations all over the planet, a need to them is clean water. A need to them is food. That's a need. And we need to kind of check ourselves and find out what really a need is. So when I think about what would happen if you did have a, heaven forbid, an EMP scenario, just revert back to what everybody would believe would be fundamentally acceptable. It's fundamentally acceptable for you to say what you want to say and have that be protected. It's fundamentally acceptable to not have somebody come into your house and rifle through your belongings without having a reasonable cause that you've committed any kind of crime or have any wrongdoing whatsoever. You have a, you have a human right to protect yourself, your family, and your belongings from thieves or anybody else. And that's what the Second Amendment says. And it's not saying that Everybody needs an assault rifle. It's not saying that everybody needs a dang bazooka. But it also doesn't say that you're not allowed to have one either. And going back to my argument before that, well, they didn't have machine guns and stuff back in the days when they wrote the Constitution. Yeah, but they had cannons, and they had ships, and they had all kinds of different things. They had explosive devices. And they didn't say in the document with addendums at the bottom that – you know, all of this stuff is cool. You can have all the guns you want. You just, you know, you you have to be able to have a muzzle loader. You know, they couldn't foresee what was going to happen in the future. So with all that being said, my friend Adam went out and tried to assert his natural right to be on this planet by loading a shotgun in ironically Freedom Plaza. And the reason I'm bringing Adam up, and I want to bring him up from time to time because you people don't need to forget about what he's done for you and what he's done for the movement and what he's exposed by doing these acts. Is it controversial? Sure. Everything that Al Sharpton does is controversial, but everybody kind of turns a blind eye to it. You know… If we spent less time trying to divide each other and point fingers at one another, Democrat, Republican, black, white, Mexican, Chinese, excuse me, it doesn't matter. We have a real problem in this nation and throughout the world, and it has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with the amount of force that you think is necessary or you think that you want to have to be able to protect yourself. We have a force that is so strong and so powerful that it supersedes all of those things, and it runs the planet. And that's what you need to understand. Is it a bunch of nefarious people getting together in a a dark room and planning out the future? In some aspects, yes, and in some aspects, no. It's kind of like a momentum theory. Humans – we work a lot on momentum, and that's why the American public is very odd to me because there's no – there's innovation pockets like Silicon Valley and other little areas around the country that you have people trying to develop and and try to make the society better and and increase the amount of liberty that we have all over the United States and all over the planet. But then you have another group that is – has this enormous foothold, it's the old guard, it's the corporations, it's the the combine of the military-industrial complex, it's government, it's all of these things that work together to preserve their existence. It's not that they're trying to deliberately attack you. They're trying to preserve their stake in the game. And the game, unfortunately, is global domination. If you haven't figured that out yet, I am so sorry. But there are people that actually, like Pinky and the Brain, try to take over the world through financial means, through political means, and through governance. So, if you can... Break with the conditioning that you've had that nobody would ever try to do that and that's just way out of the realm of possibility and there's not even a chance that people could do this because we would all know about it well guess what they write books about it they write white papers about this stuff and they let memos leak out like the one that I'm going to read from Vice here in a little bit and it's not in their arrogance It's always it's almost kind of sloppy the way that they do things every once in a while and I don't think it's the to hide everything in plain sight, like some people believe that the New World Order is this giant monolith that's trying to hide in plain sight so people don't understand, and then they distract you with the bread and circus. Because that's one argument. I think it's a momentum issue. I think, personally... With the way that they have set up all of these multinational corporations and then their offshore foundations, and then utilizing those two things to manipulate governments to impress their will on the people, I think that's where the real issue is going to lie. And the way that they get around all of the people uniting and standing up is by keeping us infighting and entertained with one another – there is a segment of the population that doesn't care about, and I know this is going to probably make some people that are listening to the podcast right now. It might make you fall out of your chair, but there are some people around the United States that don't care about football. They don't care about what the Pennant Race is doing. They don't care about, um. They don't care about Dancing with the Stars. They don't care about, you know, is 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 um, what's his is Aaron Hernandez going to go to jail. They don't care about things like that. They have, a, they have bigger aspirations. Now some say it's a malevolent force or malevolent. I can't remember what the correct pronunciation is of that. Some believe, as the Christian faith would say, that it is a dark entity that basically controls and runs this planet. I had a conversation with a, a friend of a friend the other night, and I think he's going to come on the podcast towards the end of the show. And um, the kid's 21 years old, and I don't know where these guys are coming from, these 21-year-olds that I run into and 22-year-olds that just get it. They really do get it. They, And I think it's because they've seen how the system is not working out in their favor. So they're not manipulated, and they're not really cozied up to it like people like myself – and, and and my brothers and sisters or excuse me, my brother and sister and and not to say that they're completely snowed because they're they're awake to in a large extent as far as what some of the challenges are here in the in the in the in the world. But you move into my parents generation and the and in the other generation, the generation of the social security people right now, they've the system's been kind to them. So they've no reason to not trust the system. So what that creates is a lot of apathy because the system generated a bunch of wealth for these – there's a lot of generations here. But the system generated a lot of wealth for that particular um, demographic, and now you've seen it trickle down. And so as it trickles down, the work ethic, the ideals that were instilled back in the 50s – ...and 60s are slowly degrading. They're slowly getting torn away. And as we talked about on the podcast on Tuesday... ...there are places where you can make more money on welfare... ...than you can if you were doing something that my wife does for for a profession. She's a teacher. She's an integral cog in the wheel trying to better society. But if you had two children and you are on welfare, in some states, you would make more than a teacher. Now, I know that we need a safety net, but that sounds like a safety trampoline. It's like you go down and like, oh, I need help from the government, and then, boing, you're above half of the people that you just passed on the way down. So do I think that we should abolish all social you know, programs and stuff like that? You need to return them back to where they should go, and that is not in the hands of the government where they're going to get mismanaged and, and completely – you're going to have people robbing from them. You're going to have people pulling nefarious things. It's just going to happen. When you have too many people and not enough oversight and, and large sums of money, people are going to skim off the top. And I'm not saying that you individually would do it, but you have to think of yourself as a robber sometimes. And for me, as a, as a good, law-abiding, trustworthy person, it's really hard. It's hard to get into the mind of the crook. It's hard to imagine what it's like to not have empathy. But that's what happens. So after that whole big buildup, what am I trying to get to? You're hearing race is a big issue. On a lot of different on a lot of different fronts, and if you guys want to call in and weigh in on this issue, please do six zero two seven five three nineteen sixteen. Because when you talk about race and racism, and is it racist and is it not racist, what you're basically trying to do is you're trying to decode interactions between individuals. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this today on my way to the gym and on my way home from the gym, trying to break down what I believe is really going on. And the collective consciousness of the American public is trying to be seized by the mainstream media. Some of them are trying to do good things. Some of them are trying to come out with real reports. And then you have some... That are like cognitive infiltrators trying to basically get everybody together, line them up into little tribal pockets, and then get the tribes infighting with one another. Does that sound familiar, everyone? If anybody has studied American history, that will sound very familiar. Because the systems of command and control rely upon you, the citizen, not being informed. They rely upon the citizen not looking at the big issues. They rely you looking at rely on you looking at petty issues and dealing with your day-to-day activities. Now, most people in America don't really care what goes on outside of their day-to-day activities. If I told I had a conversation with a guy at a restaurant the other night talking about what I was doing holding up a sign, talking about my protest of 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 us funding the the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and then funding the Al-Qaeda forces in Syria. And I'm going to get into Syria here in a minute because it's very easy, everybody. It's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to to think about yourself. And I'm not saying that you're selfish, but if you work a 50-hour work week like most Americans do, most most Americans don't work 9 to 5. Those jobs don't exist anymore. It's like 8 to 5.30. And then when you leave at 5.30, most people look at you like you're a slacker. Believe me, I know. I was in corporate America for a long time. So you're putting in these long work hours, and when you get home, after, if you live in Atlanta, you know all about this. After you commute for 45 minutes to an hour, the last thing that you really want to do is go in and read news and do hardcore analysis and and get three different perspectives, and then try to figure out that somewhere in the middle the truth really lies. That's a lot of work. And if you got kids, forget it. You're done. And that's kind of why I created my podcast, was to be able to go out and inform people of the issues that I think are important, because they're not going to get the exposure in – you're not going to get the exposure in the – ...moments that you might watch local news or even some national news for, let's say, half an hour. You're not going to get the exposure you need to really understand the magnitude of what's going on around the world. So I am the megaphone of the alternative media... ...relaying the transmission of the issues that need to be discussed in public with other human beings... You have to engage other people, people. It is time to quit messing around. The time for messing around is done. Activism starts now. Activate your activism engines. If you've never done activism, go to my YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV. I put up a 5-minute video that shows you how to get active. My friend Daryl Young said one time it was really great. I said, "How did you get involved in this? How did you get involved with being an activist?" And he said that he just said, Well man, i just I got mad and I went out and just started holding up a sign. That's it and now he manages one of the better one of the more successful off mainstream media um media slash um ideological outlets." On the planet, Adam versus the man. Because he took action and got involved because he understood. He's got kids. He understands that we can't let the government head this way. We can't let. We Remember, we are the government. I keep saying the government, the government. We are the government. And it's our responsibility to keep those guys in check. And the reason it's so out of control is because we dropped the ball. But now it's time to start picking the ball back up, and some of you guys don't know how to pick the ball up. It's really easy. You take both hands, and you go down there, and you grab it, and you pick it up. You talk to your fellow citizens. You read stuff about what's going on. You read foreign press. Oh my God, heaven forbid we read foreign press. There was a great little image that went around Facebook, and I'll I'll repost it on on my website if you want to go check it out. I'll repost just the image after after the show tonight on my blog, wearenotcattle.net. And it showed the difference in the Time Magazine covers from America, and then the Time Magazine covers from all over the other parts of the planet. Everybody else on the planet has got this staple printed cutout, and America gets their own fancy shiny one. That's because there is a mindset... ...that the people in America, or excuse me, the people that run America, not your politicians, want you to have. There is a safe zone for talking. That's why you see political correctness. That is all political correctness is. It is trying to take your free speech and put it into little boxes that you're allowed to speak in. Think of it like hopscotch. You're allowed to jump in this square... But you've got to put two feet in this square and you've got to put one foot in that square. Otherwise, you're racist. Otherwise, you're crazy. Otherwise, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh my gosh, you think a bunch of bankers want to get together and control the, control the money worldwide? Yes, I do. You know why? Because they're bankers, that's their job is to try to make as much money as they can. They are not wired like you. They are not built like you. They do not have the same empathy that you have. You know, I've heard the saying once that if Bill Gates walked past, and this was going around 20 years ago, so it's probably more like $100,000 with inflation and everything else that the Fed's done to us. If Bill Gates were to walk by $10,000 cash on the sidewalk, it would not be worth his time to bend over and pick it up. That's how much money we're talking about here, people. Those people make more money in days than you probably make in 10 years. Now, this is going to be, I guess, some of my, quote, liberal bias, if there is such a thing. This is just common sense, but I think you guys got enough money. I think you guys got enough power You've run your central banking scheme for 100 years here in America. Your experiment is over. Now it's time for the people's experiment. We're going to go back to sound money. We're going to go back to free markets. And we're going to try that for a while. And for those of you that want to argue that we should try communism for a while, in case you haven't realized, go check the planks of the Communist Manifesto. We are almost there, so you guys don't get to say any more either. And there's a lot of great people with great ideals of what communism should be, because communism in and of itself, from the baseline, sounds like an incredible idea. The problem is, is that humans are greedy. Humans are destructive, and humans, some of them, lack empathy. And that's what communism would center around if you were looking at it from a pure form, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. But it doesn't work like that. So my solution would be let's confiscate the wealth from the bankers, sue them like Iceland did, arrest them. And I saw a a, – A a comment on the article on Vice that said bring back the guillotine. Why not? I'm not for capital punishment, but if you destroy nations, I think you should have a really damn high price on your head. If you deliberately go and destroy countries using wealth as a weapon, using food as a weapon, using water as a weapon, you should be held at high treason. And yes, I think that you should be guillotined. Why not? You've killed thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. You've destroyed my fellow humans. You've destroyed the things that they've tried to build, and then you give me this carbon tax crap that they can't have coal-powered coal power — excuse me, coal-powered plants in third world countries, because it'll put off too much carbon. Give me a break. Why don't we reduce our carbon footprint here in America? Oh, no, can't do that. Well, we'll just shut down the coal factories. They don't produce a lot of carbon dioxide anymore. That's just steam. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, I'm informed. It's a difference. There's a huge difference. And if you hear me getting mad, there's a reason I'm getting mad. Because I can imagine what those people in Africa and these other nations are going through – Where the UN comes and takes their property and slaughters them because of, quote unquote, a carbon neutral zone or whatever the hell they want to call it. If you can't feel the people across this planet under the thumb of the global power structure and under the thumb of the manipulating finance ministers all around the world and you can't hear them screaming out at you, then you have no soul. It burns me up. It just burns me up. And then you go and try to explain it to people. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you're one of those conspiracy theorists. Oh, yeah, I'm one of those. So for all of you with your conspiracy theory mumbo-jumbo that you want to try to push onto us – like we don't know what the hell we're talking about because you are too damn lazy and you're too interested in the Kardashians or what or Juliana and Bill are doing to go and actually find out what is happening to the world. You're lazy, and it doesn't make me wrong because you're pathetic. You don't care about any of these other humans on the planet other than yourself, and that makes you weak. That makes you so weak in my eyes. And I know that I'm ranting here, everybody. Because what I saw an hour before I got on air crystallized everything. Believe me, I didn't want to be right on this. Believe me, I wanted to be a conspiracy theorist. Believe me, we all wanted to be wrong. But we're not. So get the hell over it, and let's do something. All right, so now after i have done with my preaching... Uh oh. And I didn't I didn't mean to go on a tirade, I'm so sorry. Something uh oh. sorry to the audience. It just it, it it it's it's ridiculous. Okay. I'm trying to reset here. So here is Greg Palace's article from Vice and I'm gonna read all of it. And I want you to send this transmission to everyone that you know, that if you know anything about central banking, and everybody says, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, it's a bunch of private banks run the country, they don't do that. Okay. Let's go. Confidential Memo at the Heart of the Global Financial Crisis by Greg Palast. When a little birdie dropped the in-game memo through my window, its content so explosive, so evil, or so sick, and plain evil, I just couldn't believe it. The memo confirmed every conspiracy freak's fantasy. That once again, conspiracy freak. But you know what? It is a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy against humanity. So look up the definition of conspiracy, guys. It's right there. It's not a theory. This is fact. These people are destroying nations. So football starts in a week and a half. I don't know what to tell you. The memo confirmed every conspiracy freak's fantasy that in the late 1990s – this is all stuff that I've said on my show before, by the way, so not me to toot my own horn, but do research and you'll find all this stuff for yourself. The top U.S. Treasury officials secretly conspired – with a small cabal of big-shot bankers to rip apart the financial regulations across the planet, when you see 26.3% unemployment in Spain, desperation and hunger in Greece, riots in Indonesia, and Detroit in bankruptcy, go back to the endgame memo, the, genius, the genesis of the blood, sweat, and tears. The Treasury official playing the bank's, bankers' secret g- endgame was Larry Summers, who, by the way, is up for chairman of the Federal Reserve. And if that happens, we might as well put Baphomet in as the chairman of the Fed. So continuing, today, Summers is Barack Obama's leading choice for the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Sorry, got a little preemptive. The World Central Bank. Oh, huh. at least that's correct if the confidential memo is authentic, then Summers shouldn't be serving on the Fed. He should be serving hard time in a dungeon reserved for the criminally insane of the finance world. And here it goes to say, the memo is authentic. I had to fly to Geneva to to get confirmation and wangle a meeting with Secretary General of the World Trade Organization, another criminal group, Pascal Lamy. Lamy is the Generalissimo of Globalization told me, The WTO was not created in some dark cabal of multinational secret cookie up plots against the people. We don't have cigar-smoking rich, crazy banksters negotiating. Then I showed him the memo. It begins with Larry Summers' flunky, Timothy Geithner, who used to be the Secretary of the Treasury – Reminding his boss to call the bank big shots and to order their lobbyist armies to march. He says, quote, As we enter the end game of the WTO financial services negotiations, I believe it would be a good idea to touch base with the CEOs. Gee, I wonder who these guys are going to be. To avoid Summers having to call his office and get the cell phone numbers, which under U.S. law would have appeared on the public logs, Keitner listed the private lines of where these most the five most powerful CEOs on the planet, and here they are. I'm going to try to contain myself when I say this man's name. Goldman Sachs, John Corzine, if that sounds familiar, he ripped off his own company for $1.2 billion of segregated accounts and then said that he had no idea what went on. Merrill Lynch's David Kaminsky, Bank of America's David Coulter, Citibank's John Reed, and J.P. Morgan Chase Manhattan's Walter Shipley. Larry was right. They don't smoke cigars. He's like, they don't smoke cigars. Go ahead and dial them. I did, and sure enough, I got a cheerfully personal hello from Reed. Cheery until I revealed I wasn't Larry Summers. Note, the other numbers were swiftly disconnected, and Corzine can't be reached while he faces criminal charges. Once again, should face the guillotine. It's not a little cabal of confabs held by Larry Summers and the banksters that's so troubling. The horror is the purpose of the endgame itself. Which I've talked about this at nauseum as well. In the year 1997, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, Robert Rubin, was pushing hard to to deregulate banks. (sighs) That required first the repeal of Glass-Steagall to dismantle the barrier between commercial and investment banks. If that sounds like a broken record, it is. It's like replacing bank vaults with the roulette wheels. That's exactly what it is. Second, the banks wanted to be, wanted the right to play a new risky game, derivatives trading. This is how John Corzine got in all the trouble because he was making over 30 to 1 bets on the euro and lost with other people's money. So he had to raid their accounts in order to cover the losses or else somebody on the higher confab was probably going to murk his ass. J.P. Morgan alone would carry the sum of $88 trillion in pseudo-securities on the books as, quote, assets. (laughs) Ha ha! These guys are awesome. Deputy Treasury Secretary Summers, soon to replace Rubin as secretary, body-blocked any attempt to control derivatives from Ron Paul. Deputy Secretary – excuse me, I already read that – but – What was the use of the turning the banks into derivatives casinos if money could flee into nations with safer bank laws? The answer conceived by the five banks, eliminate controls on banks in every nation on the planet in one single move. That's right. It was as brilliant as it was insanely dangerous. How could they pull off this mad caper? The bankers and Summers gave what or game was to use the FAFSA, the Financial Services Agreement an obtrusive and benign addendum to the international trade agreements policed by the World Trade Organization. Until the bankers began their play, the WTO agreements dealt simply with trade and goods, that is my cars for your bananas. The new rule devised by Summers and the banks would force all nations to accept trade in, quote, bads, quote, toxic assets like financial derivatives, which is what the Fed is now monetizing at the tune of $85 billion a month. Are you angry yet? Until the banks redraft the FSA, each nation controlled and, controlled and chartered the banks within their own borders. The new rules of the game would force every nation to open the markets to Citibank, J.P. Morgan Chase, and their derivatives, quote, products, which are not products at all, as they said before. So continuing, and all 156 nations in the WTO would have to smash their own Glass-Steagall divisions between commercial savings banks and investment banks that gamble with derivatives. The job of turning the FSA into the banker's battering ram was given to Geithner, who was named as ambassador to the World Trade Organization. And the next part of the article is entitled, Bankers Go Bananas, as if they weren't already. Why in the world would any nation agree to letting its banking system be so broad or so bombarded and seized by the private pirates like J.P. Morgan? Aha! The answer, in the case of Ecuador, was bananas. Ecuador was truly a banana republic. The yellow fruit was the nation's life and death source of hard currency. It refused to sign the new FSA. Ecuador could feed its bananas to the monkeys and then go into bankruptcy. Ecuador then signed. So on, and every single nation was bullied into signing. Every nation but one, I say. Brazil's new president um in Lu, Lua de Silva refused. In retaliation Britain or Brazil was threatened with a virtual embargo of its products in the European Union's Trade Commission on one Peter Mandelson, once again another criminal, according to another confidential memo I got my hands on. But Luna refused stance to pay off Brazil of which Alone among Western nations survived by thriving during the 2007 and 2009 bank crisis. China signed, but it got its pound of flesh in return. It opened the banking sector and then cracked into a crack in, in, excuse me it opened its banking sector, a crack in return access, and control of U.S. auto parts and other markets. Swiftly, two million jobs were shipped to China. GM everybody and in case you're hopefully putting all the pieces of the puzzle together this is why the NSA was created everyone the new FSA pulled a lid off of the Pandora's box of the worldwide derivatives trade among the notorious transactions legalized Goldman Sachs where treasury secretary Rubin had been co-chair as well as you know everybody else on this list Timothy Geithner and Um, What's-his-nuts that was still the treasury secretary at the time? Anyway, worked a secret euro derivative swap with Greece, which ultimately destroyed that nation. And then they went and bought it up for pennies on the dollar because that's what they do. They're a bunch of assholes. Ecuador, its own banking sector, deregulated and demolished, exploded with riots. Argentina had to sell off its oil companies to Spain and water systems to Enron – while its teachers hunted for food and garbage cans, that all came out in the news, and I covered that on my podcast. When the bankers gone wild and the Eurozone dove headfirst into the derivatives pools without knowing how to swim, the continent is now being sold off in the tiny cheap pieces to Germany. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not just the threats of being sold, the FSA, but the temptation as well. After all, every evil starts with a, bit of a, with a bite of an apple offered by a snake. The apple, the gleaming piles of, of luxury hidden in the FSA local elites, and the snake was named Larry. Does all the evil and pain flow from a single memo? Of course not. The evil was the game itself as played by the banking, the banking clique. The memo was revealed, their game plan the memo was revealed and their game plan for checkmate. And the memo reveals a lot about Summers and Obama. Oh no, you can't talk about Obama, that's racist. While billions of sorry souls are still hunting from world still hunting from the worldwide banking made disaster, Rubin and Summers didn't do too badly. Rubin's deregulated banks had been permitted to the creation of the financial monstrosity called Citigroup. Within weeks of leaving office, Rubin was named director and then chairman of Citigroup, which went bankrupt while managing to pay Rubin a total of $126 million. Woohoo! Then Rubin took another position as a key campaign benefactor at a young state senator, Barack Obama. Only days after his election as president, Barack Obama, Rubin's, uh, at Rubin's assistant, gives Summers the odd post of the economics czar and made Timothy Geithner his um, secretary of the treasury. Yeah, that's correct. In 2010, Summers gave up his royalist robes to return to, quote, consulting for Citibank and other creatures of the banking deregulation, whose payments have, been, have raised Summers' net worth by... million since the endgame memo. This is ridiculous. That Obama would, at Robert Rubin's demand, now choose Summers to run the Federal Reserve Board means that unfortunately we are far from the endgame. And that is the end of the article. And I think I just have my friends try to call in here. So I am actually going to go and play a clip really quick, everybody, of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And if you have not read it, I would highly recommend it because it does break down exactly what you are going to see in our nation. He talks about what he's done in other nations, and he talks about how even in Ecuador what he did. So let me go to – I can't remember which clip it is, but I might end up playing them all. And I'm sorry that I haven't gotten to the race-baiting stuff, everybody, but this got me so fired up that I think that I might even actually have to – as tempting as it may seem to describe why this racist crap is going around everywhere and why the media is trying to push it on all of us. I think I would rather spend my time more constructively and then try to unlock some minds – and try to understand and explain to humanity what we are facing. It is not fun. It is not good. And just because they have a lot of money doesn't mean they're not criminals. So here is the first clip, and then I'm going to try to get my friend to um, call in here in a moment. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're listening live, thank you very much. Tuesday and Thursday night, I am here from 9 until 11 p.m., um, if you want some of your friends to share the reality, tell them to come over.
2: We economic hitmen really have been the ones responsible for creating this first truly global empire. And we work many different ways. But perhaps the most common is that we will identify a, a country that has resources our corporations covet, like oil, and then arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sister organizations, but the money never actually goes to the country. Instead it goes to our big corporations to build infrastructure projects in that country, power plants, industrial parks, ports, things that benefit a few rich people in that country, in addition to our corporations, but really don't help the majority of the people at all. However, those people, the whole country is left holding a huge debt. It's such a big debt they can't repay it, and that's part of the plan they can't repay it and so at some point we economic hitmen go back to them and say listen you lost a lot of money can't pay your debt so sell your oil real cheap to our oil companies allow us to build a military base in your country or send troops and support of ours to someplace in the world like iraq or vote with us on the next u.n vote to have their the electric utility company privatized and their water and sewage system privatized and sold to U.S. corporations or other multinational corporations. So there was a whole mushrooming thing, and it's so typical of the way the IMF and the World Bank work, that you put a country in debt, it's such a big debt, it can't pay it, and then you offer to refinance that debt, and it, it, it pay even more interest. And you demand this quid pro quo, which you call a conditionality or good governance, which means basically that they've got to sell off their resources, in, in, including many of their social services, their utility companies, their school systems sometimes, their their, their penal systems, their insurance systems, to foreign corporations. So
3: it's a, it's a double, triple, quadruple whammy.
1: Okay, I think that I got disconnected. Hopefully, I'm still on the air. Yep, I am. Good gosh. Skype is an incredible, incredible device, but sometimes it does not play well with me. So I'm going to try to pull my friend up here. I am actually going to play another clip from the uh, Economic Hitman. So this is John Perkins, by the way. Still trying to get him on the podcast. That might happen towards the end of next month, so stay tuned for that. Also looking to get Ben Swan on here, so hopefully... We will have some um, some nice guests coming up for you guys in the um, in the pasture in the cattle pasture, so we can all debate on what's going on around the world and what is important, and um, talk about solutions and and how we can kind of get ourselves out of the clutches of the banksters. So here is the next clip. Enjoy. The precedent
2: for economic hitmen really began back in the early fifties when. Like- democratically elected, Mossadegh, who was elected in Iran, he was considered to be the hope for democracy in the Middle East and around the world. He was Time Magazine's man of the year. But one of the things that he'd run on and began to implement was the idea that foreign oil companies needed to pay the Iranian people a lot more for the oil that they were taking out of Iran. The Iranian people should benefit from their own oil, oil. Strange policy. We didn't like that, of course. But we were afraid to do what we normally were doing, which was to send in the military. Instead, we sent in one CIA agent, Kermit Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's relative. And Kermit went in with a few million dollars and was very, very effective and efficient. And in a short amount of time, he managed to get Moustadek overthrown and brought in the Shah of Iran to replace him, who always was favorable to oil. And it was extremely effective. Overflow Tehran Army officers shout that Mossadegh has surrendered And his regime as virtual dictator of Iran Is ended Pictures of the Shah are paraded through the streets As sediment reverses The Shah is welcomed home So back here in the United States uh, In Washington People looked around and said Wow, that was easy and cheap So this established a whole new way Of manipulating countries Of, of creating empire the only problem with Roosevelt was that he was a card-carrying CIA agent. And had he been caught, the ramifications could have been pretty serious. So very quickly at that point, the decision was made to use private consultants to, to, to channel the money through the World Bank or the IMF or one of the other such agencies, to bring in people like me who worked for private companies. So that if we got caught, there would be no governmental ramifications. When Arbenz became president of Guatemala, the country was very much under the thumbs of United Fruit Company, the, the big international corporations. And Arbenz ran on this ticket that says, you know, we want to get the land back to the people. And once he took power, he was, he was implementing policies that would, that would do exactly that, give the land rights back to the people. United Fruit didn't like that very much. And so they hired a public relations firm, launched a huge campaign in the United States to convince the United States, the people, the citizens of the United States, and the press of the United States, and the Congress of the United States, that Arbenz was a so- Soviet puppet. And that if we allowed him to stay in power, the Soviets would have a foothold in this, uh, in this hemisphere. And that, at, at that point in time, was a huge fear on everybody's mind, the Red Terror, the communist terror. And so, to make a long story short, out of this public relations campaign came a commitment on the part of the CIA and the military to take this man out. And in fact we did. We sent in planes, we sent in, we sent in soldiers, we sent in jackals, we sent everything in to take him out, and did take him out. And as soon as he was removed from office, the new guy that took over after him basically reinstated everything to the big international corporations including United Fruit.
1: Oh yeah, but you know what? Governments and banks never conspire to do anything. That's just that's conspiracy theory. So I'm going to take a break right here guys. I'm going to take a break for about 5 minutes. Um I'm going to play some more of the John Perkins clips. I'm going to find I think I'm going to skip ahead and play this um 5-minute clip that he's got. Thanks everybody for listening. Um enjoy this clip and uh, get a friend get informed and get involved cuz that's what it's all about.
2: Omar Torrijos, president of Panama, was, you know, one of my favorite people. I really, really liked him. He was very charismatic. He was a guy who really wanted to help his country. And when I tried to bribe him or corrupt him, he said, look, John, he called me Juanito. He said, look, Juanito, um, I don't need the money. What I really need is for my country to be treated fairly. I need for the United States to repay the debts that you owe my people for all the destruction you've done here. I need to be in a position where I can help other Latin American countries win their independence and, and, and be free of this, of this terrible presence from the North that you people are exploiting us so badly. I need to have the Panama Canal back in the hands of the Panamanian people. That's what I want. And so leave me alone. Don't, you know, don't, try, to, don't try to bribe me. It was 1981, and in May, Jaime Roldos was assassinated. And Omar was very aware of this. Torrijos got his family together and he said, I'm probably next, but it's okay because I've done what I came here to do. I've renegotiated the canal. The canal will now be in our hands. He just finished negotiating the treaty with Jimmy Carter. In June of that same year, just a couple of months later, he also went down in an airplane crash, which there's no question was executed by CIA-sponsored Jackals. Tremendous amount of evidence that one of Torrijos' security guards handed him at the last moment as he was getting on the plane a tape recorder, a small tape recorder that contained a bomb. It is interesting to me how this system has continued pretty much the same way for years and years and years, except the economic hit got better and better and better. Then we come up with very recently what happened in Venezuela. In 1998, Hugo Chávez gets elected president, following a long line of presidents who had been very corrupt and basically destroyed the economy of the country. And Chávez was elected amidst all that. Chávez stood up to the United States, and he's done it primarily demanding that Venezuelan oil be used to help the Venezuelan people. Well, we didn't like that in the United States. So, in 2002, the coup was staged, which there's no question in my mind, in most other people's minds, that the CIA was behind that coup. The way that that coup was fomented was very reflective of what Kermit Roosevelt had done in Iran, of, of paying people who to go out into the streets to riot, to protest, to say this Chavez is this very unpopular. You know, you, if you can get a few thousand people to do that, the, the, the television can make it look like the whole country, and things start to mushroom, except in the case of Chavez, he was smart enough and the people were so strongly behind him that they overcame it, which was a phenomenal moment in the history of Latin America. Iraq actually is a perfect example of the way the whole system works. So. We economic hitmen are the first line of defense. We go in, we try to corrupt governments and and get them to accept these huge loans, which we then use as leverage to basically own them. If we fail, as I failed in in Panama with Omar Torrijos and in Ecuador with Jaime Roldos, men who refuse to be corrupted, then the second line of defense is we send in the jackals. And the jackals either overthrow governments or they assassinate. And once that happens, when a new government comes in Boy, it's going to toe the line because the new president knows what will happen if he doesn't. In the case of Iraq, uh, both of those things failed. Economic hitmen were not able to get through to Saddam Hussein. We tried very hard. We tried to get him to accept a deal very similar to what the House of Saud had accepted in Saudi Arabia. But he wouldn't accept it. And so the jackals went in to take him out. They couldn't do it. His security was very good. Um, after all, he had one time worked for the CIA. He'd been hired to assassinate a former president of, of, of Iraq and failed, but he knew the system. So in 91, we send in the troops and we take out the Iraqi military. So we assume at that point that Saddam Hussein is going to come around. We could have taken him out, of course, at that time, but we didn't want to. He's a kind of strong man we like. He controls his people. We thought he could control the Kurds and keep the Iranians in their border and keep pumping oil for us. And then once we took out his military, now he's going to come around. So the economic hitmen go back in in the 90s without success. If they had had success, he'd still be running the country. We'd be selling him all the fighter jets he wants and everything else he wants. But they couldn't, they, they didn't have success. The jackals couldn't take him out again, so we sent the military in once again, and this time we did the complete job and took him out, and in the process created for ourselves some very, very lucrative construction uh, deals. We had to reconstruct a country that we essentially destroyed, which is a pretty good deal if you own construction companies, big ones. So, you know, Iraq shows the three stages. The economic hitmen failed there. The jackals failed there.
1: As a the final measure, the military goes out. Woohoo! All right. So, holy bonkers, Batman. Uh, I got on the line. I think I have my friend Josh and my friend Matt on the line with me. Guys, are you there? How's it going? Can you hear me? Yeah, I got Josh there. Matt, are you there? I am here. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. Um, I hope you guys weren't listening to me almost blow a gasket when I was trying to read that uh, that Vice memo. Oh, <sighs> what a oh, joke. man!
4: Yeah, I I did catch the end there uh, of that clip. I, was that from uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman?
1: Yeah, that was uh, John Perkins. That is one yeah. of my that's one of my all time favorite books. Just because it kind of shows how all this stuff gets done. You know, it just shows that. That it's not just, oh, look, Assad nerve-gassed his people. we got to go bomb them. What? Wait a minute. Do we know that he – well, we know. we got video that – I mean, Lindsey Graham probably just ran around and, like, did jumping jacks when he saw that video. He was probably so excited. So, um, quickly, guys – What's um, what's your take on the memo? Did you guys hear me uh, reading what the memo basically covered? Not something that you guys are probably unaware of. Basically that the, the global banking group decided to deregulate not only the United States when they removed Glass-Steagall but the entire world so that basically turning the world economy into a casino, not just ours. And then strong-arming nations just like what John Perkins says here into joining that little group and that little way of thinking. So – but i'm going to put a uh, i'm going to put like a little stopper on the economics part of it just for a minute cuz i will lose my my mind because vindication is sweet but yet i'll still go around and show that article to people and the actual physical memo and they'll still say i'm a conspiracy theorist that there's nothing wrong everything's fine so what um josh i'm going to go to you first cuz we chatted a little bit before what sure do thing. you make what do you make of what do you make of the Syria ordeal? Oh my goodness, where to start? Um,
4: let's uh, start with all, how
1: all this stuff. Let's start with all all this stuff happened. Assad has ta- attacked no one, and the West basically. I'm going to set the stage for you. The West starts funding radical Islamists, aka 60% of them. I think were the numbers that I saw, 60% plus of the rebel fighters are literal Al Qaeda um Al Qaeda Islamic extremists that our nation is actually funding, giving them food, weapons, and cash. So you're you got and it's been going on for two years. So now we're at full destabilization, globalists proceeding full steam ahead. What's your take and synopsis of the whole scenario?
4: Oh obviously this is uh I mean it's it's kind of interesting how how all this is starting to break down now, but uh that, that was an excellent primer. Um I really think that the biggest development as a as of late uh aside from Assad supposedly becoming suicidal and unleashing chemical weapons as UN inspectors land on the ground in his country uh that to was investigate two days ago. That was 2 exactly days ago. To- yeah. Exact, to investigate attacks that were from March. I think that there's almost deliberately a lot of confusion along along those lines because uh, I hear a lot of people repeating that that, that UN inspectors were brought in because of, of of former attacks when when really the one that that is sparking a lot of in uh, uh you know uh kind of uh, pfft outrage right now is is the ones that that were unleashed as as these UN inspectors touched down uh, in Aleppo. But uh, I think the big, the biggest um, development I think is that Le Figaro, uh, and this is from Zero Hedge, broke the story earlier today. Obviously, no one else has, uh, no other major papers have come out and and confirmed this yet. But they, they state that American, Israeli, and Jordanian troops, at the behest of CIA agents, have entered Syria, um, and they have a, a breakdown on this, tying it all back to that kind, the kind of economic themes that you were talking about earlier. Uh, and mm-hmm. how this is kind of kind of uh, coinciding with Fed tapering, uh, or, or the threat of Fed tapering, which is very interesting.
1: Oh, Matt, can, hey, I like what you said. Um, you know, we don't have any money to le- open up the White House and let people come in in public and, and do the tours or anything, but we can fund the hell out of the radical Muslims all over the planet, can't we?
0: Uh, I mean, I, I guess that... That depends on if you believe that they're actually radical Muslims or um,
1: guns for hire. I um, think that more of guns for hire is probably a better term. I just like to use radical Muslims because the the conservative group out there, the conservative I, sect of America would would understand that. Um, they want you to uh,
0: believe. I, why they call them right. radical Muslims. They want you to believe that it's something that's worth fighting for because the conservative right – it's fight evil at its doorsteps. And if we believe that it was hired guns and not radical Muslims, then it wouldn't be okay.
1: So since it's radical Muslims, we got to do something about it. I don't know, man. I think throwing Christians off of roofs and cutting people's hearts out and eating them on camera, that's pretty damn radical to me. Yeah, but it's well, just the real Muslims.
4: Yeah, well, I'd like to say, I mean, it could very I, well
1: be both, depending,
4: <laughs> on your, depending on your definition of Muslim. You know, the, the United States government has spent a lot of money
0: yeah, uh, let's, in... Let's, Terms real quick. First off, could they be Muslims and radical, or sure. could
1: they be radical Muslims? I mean, no, no, no. Let's just say let's just say that they're they're just radical people in general, and they just happen to follow Islam. Exactly. Are they being
0: are they being radical because of the money and what they're being asked to do, or are they being radical because of what the Quran says? Because if we know the Quran, it doesn't say to do this. <laughs> so. I, I tend to lean towards the the side of that they're just they're being paid to do it and they're doing a job based on um, political,
1: monetary, and uh, power gains. Yeah, and and people that I've talked to in that are that are former military will tell you, especially people that have been to Iraq and Afghanistan, will tell you that um, that there are merc groups everywhere. There are mercenary groups everywhere. There's private contractors everywhere, and I don't know. I don't know who the you know beneficiaries are, but that doesn't you know escape the realm of my possibility that we are actually funding what I would consider mercenary groups or like you said, guns for hire that just so happen to be considered Islamicists. But you know, over in um, over in Egypt, CNN calls them protesters when they're firebombing people and, and shooting cops and you know pushing trucks off of bridges and stuff. Those are that's peaceful protesters. But in America, if you load a shotgun in Freedom Plaza, that's terrorism. Yeah. Don't welcome, welcome to the new America. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's it's not so Freedom Plaza is what they should call it.
1: Well, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. So, so here is so you're saying that right now that they've got um, basically, which doesn't surprise me at all. Did you say that Jordan was involved in the in the boots on the ground? Uh, that is what Le Figaro is reporting, yes. Okay, there, so it, that really does coincide with a lot of the intel that I've heard and seen over the internet that said that, didn't we run a military drill in um, in Jordan like a month ago? And then after the drill was over that we refused to leave?
4: Uh, yes, we have now uh, uh, in, uh, uh, deployed Patriot batteries and uh, F-16s. In, oh. That was in late June in Jordan, yeah.
0: I wanted to comment real quick on the um the uh the the uh chemical weapons attack that you guys are talking about. I saw a news report um and it was more of an a opinion based based on what they saw on the evidence that it seemed more like, uh, Saudi Arabia. It like they said it, it just seems too much like something Saudi Arabia would be doing and not uh Syria itself. Like a uh, false flag so to
1: speak. Yeah, well gonna, that, we, Yeah, go ahead. Go okay. ahead, Josh.
0: Sorry, I just wanted
4: to clarify really quickly uh, on the grammar. And Saudi Arabia, I think, when you use that term, uh, is really just sh- should be identified as a proxy state for NATO. Uh, it's right. it's really a, a hand of the United States Empire. Fair enough.
0: I thought we I thought our presidents bowed to their to them, not the other way around. Well, I
4: mean, I mean that's, they, that, that's be... an interesting.
0: Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well we I mean we basically get they they're they're buying all of our debt, so thank God that they're there. Otherwise we'd probably already be bankrupt already with them buying all the T bills and everything. But here we got somebody else on the line I think he wants to weigh in. Um all I see is Matt for America. Go ahead, Matt, you are you are live. Welcome to the conversation. Hey gentlemen, good conversation too.
5: Um, you know, I, I find it funny that when you, when you look at the broad uh, picture of of the globalist government that the progressives are trying to to push us towards, the Muslims and the Middle East is nothing but their tool. They're their pansies, believe, and and a lot of people they they tend to not realize that because you know if you look at your Bilderbergs and and, and other such crazy things like that, the Muslim uh, uh, faction is not. It does not have a spot with them. They're using Mm -hmm. them as a as a tool, sort of like the way the American left is using race as a tool to get what they want to get their uh, their points across.
1: Well, Matt, that's a very good point. All right, go ahead. Whoever wants to respond, I'll go to Matt. Who was that? Josh that wants to respond? No, it's Matt. Oh, Matt, Matt, go ahead, buddy. Matt wants to respond to Matt. Got it.
0: I, I heard you use terms like the liberal left and the progressives with with. Guys like John McCain visiting over there and fueling things. Do you really think it's a one-sided effort from both part out of the two parties?
5: Well, John McCain, uh, by definition, if you look at his background and, and the things that he's uh, he's been uh, petitioning for, is a progressive in its own right. That's a good so point. Yes, yeah.
0: I just like to think that when it comes to the two-party system, for me, it's hard to draw any kind of uh, distinction.
1: No, it's all it's very all globalization. True. It's all globalization. We know that.
4: Yeah, sorry. When when our caller used the term globalism, I think that that is uh, the most apt description for it. But it's...
0: uh, I apologize.
4: But yeah, it's also uh, something that that they had mentioned. um, uh, What was it? I believe it was a Rahm Emanuel quote where he said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. yeah and uh i that i really think is uh is a history of the middle east and it's again a a history of the manipulation of the Hegelian dialectic by creating the problem and offering uh the the solution uh now that being said, I do think it is like important to discuss the minutia of exactly uh who what the big- who the big players in the middle east are and uh for for america two two of the predominant ones besides obviously israel uh are right now saudi arabia and and pakistan um and so so it would not surprise me at all if if a lot of this influence is, is coming from from saudi sheikhs as as it has in the
1: past now what about the um what about the saudis I, I read this article on my um on my um podcast on Tuesday. what about the Saudis saying that they were going to back and and fund um the egyptian military and what's going on with it we have so we have destabilization in egypt now is is this gassing of the of the innocents over in Syria, could this be a political diversion from the American public really looking at what's going on in Egypt and how that all fell apart with with western intervention i'll go I'll go to Josh first and then I'll go down right down the line i'll go to I'll go to Matt and then Matt for America at, at the end. You guys can all comment
4: you know that that's a really interesting point, but there there are so many moving parts constantly in the Middle East where it really is hard to pin down these kind of things I mean we saw it uh with the Arab Spring. Uh, you know in the chaos of the Arab Spring is when the drone pro- drone strike program on uh, on Yemen really started to escalate, almost kind of masking uh the the local genocide that was that was being wrought from the skies on that country um mm-hmm. but you know it's it's also interesting because you do mention the uh a lot of the moving parts in egypt now uh with uh uh Mosaddegh, or not Mosaddegh, excuse me morsi coming out of jail um and and quite frankly the arab spring and, and the installation of the muslim brotherhood i'm not saying that the muslim brotherhood is a front for the cia in all instances but it mm-hmm. certainly has a history as be, as being such so i don't think that anyone should really uh, take what is go i hate to say it, but take what is going on in egypt too seriously uh in mm-hmm. in the sense that that the people there really have a uh, have a foothold in, in the political spe- in the political spectrum there I, re- I really do feel that uh this is just a, a do over for for Western powers, as is what's happening in Syria. Um, but Syria is uh, the more interesting case right now because if there, if anywhere it, uh, we are going to deploy, you know, live fire, boots on the ground troops, it will be in Syria, uh, not not in con- North.
1: Conveniently, right next to a company a country that we've wanted to get at for a little bit. So, um, yeah, Matt, exactly. your Matt, your turn to a comment.
0: Well, you know, I, I look at it from a couple different angles, and me and Robert covered this back, I think, around November, October. Yeah, this has
1: been going on for quite some time, but let's just rehash all this stuff because the dialogue is now getting heated. Well, I mean, if you look back, then
0: uh, you know you can even look at as far as CNN <laughs> faking uh, crimes, faking war scenes, faking uh, deaths, and then you look at uh, and you look at the ultimate goal, which is is to me is well. If I if I put the puzzle the puzzle pieces together and I look at Syria, and Iran is one of their uh, allies, uh, China and Russia are also one of their uh, allies. It, it's it's obvious to me the reason why they're doing these things through back channels, like faking things and Muslim Brotherhood and funding Al Qaeda, which is really all Al Qaeda was, as a, a funded front through the CIA. I mean, mm-hmm. it, they're trying to gain support to go in there. So Russia, China, and Iran, they go, well, wait a minute. Okay, this stuff's – well, if we go in there and we don't – if we go in there and go after the United States, I think they're trying to subvert having to face China, Russia, and Iran. And if they do this and it goes bad, it, you, well, I don't think I have to spell out the
1: possibilities
0: of what no, happens. No, you really,
1: you really don't. It would be the domino effect, and it would be very, very quick. Matt, you're um, you get your take on all this stuff, man.
5: You know, I live in Cleveland, Ohio. And in Cleveland, Ohio, we have a saying, and it goes: If you if you want the weather to change, wait ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's the way the Middle East is.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Honestly, there's there's really um, there's so many factions involved, and in, in who's going to support what, and who's going to go with who, and, and there's so many overthrows involved, especially when you're talking about Egypt. Egypt has changed hands so many times. Uh, sure. If you if you if you you know wait a few months. The story is going to completely change, and you're going to see factions and countries uh, wanting uh, different ideals or different uh, uh, things from uh, from other leaders. Um, mm-hmm. So, really, I I I, I got to say, when you're trying to make a call in the Middle East, good luck. Wait, 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. weather's going to change.
1: Well, now here I, here's, here here I'm going to go back down the list because I do have a question for Matt. Matt, what do you do you think that it is? It is in not. America, not the corporations, but do you think it's in the people's best interest for us um, as, a, as a national global power? Do you think it's in the people's best interest for us to be sending money to any of these countries in the Middle East given, given the current situation and the destabilization that has gone on there over the past couple of years? Are you asking me? No, I'm asking the Matt that just finished. I'm sorry, Matt number two. Matt number two. <laughs> number two. Um.
5: Yeah. <laughs> um you know, uh, I, I really no. I've never seen uh, any good come of funding other countries for no. You know, maybe in a disaster filled area, but when mm-hmm. we when we're living in a country where um, you know it, we can't open up the White House for the public to view, who actually is the the right owners of the White House. When we're closing down air shows, when we're closing down parades to to uh, you know uh, celebrate American heritage. When we're defunding our our own space program and allowing other countries to get ahead of us in those areas,
1: mm-hmm. I would
5: have to say that um, a lot of this, especially when you're talking about what this uh, this current administration is trying to fund, uh, mm-hmm. like these Muslim Muslim Brotherhood, what what happened in Libya, the the, the money's exchanged there.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: I, if, if you have to question it, then you might as well stop doing it because it's ridiculous.
1: I agree. I agree, Matt. Number one, what do you think? Um, I, I know where you're going to stand on this, but just the funding of the just the funding of the Middle East in general. What can you what can you kind of portray to the population about why this is e- either a good idea or a bad idea? Oh wow. Um, well,
0: you, you're right. You do know where I'm going to go with this. Mm-hmm. It, it, I I are on the side of caution, and anything and anytime you start entangling yourself with one nation and then getting in trouble with another and, oh, we got to give these guys money. And no, no, what we gonna, we got to give these guys money. And, and, and the reality is, is that money doesn't go to, are you talking about foreign aid or are you talking about military help?
1: Pretty me, much me, foreign aid. I mean, I mean, you basically hit it on the head and how dare you quote Thomas Jefferson and one of the founding fathers. How dare you, you <laughs> terrorists and extremists. <laughs>
0: I just think that anytime you, you entangle yourself like that, you know, we 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 give these guys money. They tell us put it this way. I think it's uh, Ron Paul who said this. We take money from <laughs> poor people in this country and give it to rich poor people in other
1: countries. And rich people in other countries.
0: Yeah. I mean it's the most ridiculous thing. And and people are like, no, we got to give foreign aid to these countries. <laughs> oh, hey, so really? Sick.
1: It's we so sick. To hey hey, country. and we gotta go. We gotta go invade Iraq and look for Osama bin Laden. that gets all the contracts to rebuild the country. once we bombard it all and kill a million right. of their people. Oh, you mean Osama bin Laden that survived for 10 years
0: running through... On games. dialysis.
1: Dialysis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that one. Hey, um, we do have a guy here in the chat room that's doing a really good job, um, uh, Flycatch. Flycatch, you need to call into the show with all this stuff that you're sending to me because he just said that your focus is on the Middle East, but do you realize what's happening on our shores? The, ESG, the DHS has just today set up checkpoints on the interstate headed north from San Diego, so... You know, it. I I don't know what the hell to say anymore. I mean, this is I just mean, getting uh, out of just getting out of control. And then you have you have DHS in Fox News saying today that um here hold on one second it says and this is the headline of the article DHS employee spends spare time promoting race war against whites and they're talking about how they're trying to get a race war going with with America, and it says uh, okay all right so anyway.
0: Oh well, um, hey, if if we're gonna t- discuss what's going on over here, I yeah. have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe you conspiracy theory nuts can 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 help me figure this one out because
1: I've heard uh, some reports about uh, uh, FEMA. Remember, region. Matthew. Remember, we've got a new term. We are alternative theorists. We are not conspiracy theorists anymore. I have an alternative theory to your state-run propaganda. Nah. No, but, I mean, we're talking about uh, FEMA Region 3
0: and uh, foreign troops and all this stuff being ordered and MREs and Mm
1: -hmm. talks. uh, No, no, elaborate for people that aren't really paying attention that might be tuning in for the first time that don't know what you're talking about.
0: I watched a video, and there's a lot of talk about uh, coming this September 27th and 28th, um, that there's a lot of call for foreign aid or not foreign aid in the traditional sense, foreign aid from other uh, nations for troops, basically. That would be the foreign aid. Where they're coming over here uh, in FEMA Region 3, they're they they're preparing for something. It seems like either some kind of weird training module or 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 they're predicting something. And I wanted to get a, you know, maybe you guys can elaborate some more on, you know, beyond what I'm describing because I, I don't know what to make of it because it seems awfully uh, weird that we have... Uh, we're preparing for an entire region.
1: Yeah, and and you know, um, once again, our guy. And once again, our guy in the chat room. How dare we have a bunch of informed people listening to this radio show? This is terrorism. All right. Anyway, so he's talking about how the the army is just buying up the AK forty seven magazines. But what really concerns me about the AK forty seven magazines, and I'm not once again alternative theory to your state run propaganda. There have been documented cases over the years. Recently that American troops have been training with Russian troops even as um short as six months ago over in um Denver, I think it was, or in Colorado. And now one of the things that I thought was really interesting is when um Josh, do you remember when I sent you that video on Eric Dollard and what he said that Harp was? Did you ever watch that?
4: Oh, yes. I watched all of it. Did a lot of research, actually, on that. Okay, subject.
1: great. And then do you remember what he said that he could hear when he was listening to those uh, radio frequencies, that he could hear foreign troops you know, operating on U.S. soil?
4: Yeah, Russian specifically, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this kind of stuff goes on, and I know that they do training exercises. And if you really want to freak yourself out, there's a video that I'll post on my We Are Not Cattle homepage that was basically a UN joint um initiative back in oh god i'm going to make my brain hurt i think it was 19 it had to be 1996 or 97 it was still when Bill Cooper was alive and they did a whole documentary on the us training troops foreign troops to come and do door to door gun confiscation so well,
4: oh yeah that,
1: that's
0: what i'm ta- you know that's what i'm talking about is i mean that that kind of stuff about specifically coming up here within a month and a half in themo region Okay, I,
4: let, let me let me cut you off right okay. there, Matt. Okay. okay, go ahead. Okay, let, let me I just want to say like uh for all of our listeners that when we're when we're pegging a date like this, uh you know, I I don't think anyone should really get too worked up over this uh because uh every single time and I mean every single time I've been invested in uh in people predicting uh false flag events or predicting major shifts in policy specifically on American soil with regard to foreign troops or the institution of continuity of government, it's been wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. You got people have to understand that these kind of training exercises, and they should also be con- concerned about this. These kind of training exercises happen on a regular basis, and since yep. Rex eighty four since Rex eighty four was re- was revealed during the Iran Contra hearings, uh, and and the continuity of government program was set up that you know kind of mirrors these FEMA regions that we see today. Uh, these kind of plans are always in, always in the works. There's always moving parts, and there are always countries, foreign troops, and uh, and private security companies that have potential contracts to enact continuity of government. So when you when you see dates like this, uh, it, it's a lot of it could potentially be training exercises, uh, re-signing of new contracts. So I don't think anyone should really get too worked up over you know like martial law is coming if you live in the Philadelphia area. You know mm-hmm. like oh, but- no one should. No one should get too worked up about it, but 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 at the same time, you know, it is a it is a good uh, opportunity for people to educate themselves about the, the nature of continuity of government and exactly what that is. Well,
1: that's what here. I let me,
4: to, is, let, me is, get,
1: is, let me get to, let me get Matt number two's take on this. He's been kind of silent. Matt number two, what do you make of all this? What we, what we've been talking about the last few minutes?
5: Well, there's a there's a, you know, there's a lot of things. I was just looking for a story that I ran across earlier today to, to deal with this exact same thing and it was uh house to house gun confiscation. They were confiscating um uh legal uh purchased M16s and AK47s and I wish I could have found the story because I was going to chime in with that. But I I do believe uh that these things are in the future. Now, like what uh what you guys were saying before about don't panic yet. Um, I agree with that, and there are contracts being renewed, and things do happen, but um, it, it, with the way uh, the, the this uh, globalist idea is, is starting to take shape, if you notice within uh, the last seven or eight years, this whole progressive mindset has really uh, accelerated. It, it took a long time over the last hundred years to come to fruition, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. over the last eight years, it's really, really accelerated, so I do... See some of these things coming down the line uh, a lot quicker than we think, and I, I think by the end of at least this term of Obama's presidency, um, you're going to see uh, some communities that will be affected um, in ways that I don't even think we could
1: comprehend yet. All right, I got my uh, I got my other friend Daryl Young calling in right now. I'm going to pull him up, Daryl Young from Adam versus the Man. Daryl, what is going on, my man? Daryl.
3: Just another day in
1: life. Hello, everybody. thanks for having me Thanks, man. Thanks for calling in. Now we're talking. We're basically all over the map here because y- your boy lost his. Well, let's just be honest. I lost my shit in the first hour because I was sitting there reading this document talking about how the the basically the the global empire has colluded with nations all over the world and strong-armed some of them into getting rid of the derivatives protections and and all of this stuff basically creating a casino which we've already known but now let's let's switch gears a little bit since we're on the home front you know we've made a lot of we've made a lot of light and a lot of you know funny stuff about MSNBC coming out and provoking race especially here on the home front in America recently with the Trayvon Martin and all these other things Daryl, what what do you think is behind all of this uh race baiting politics here in America and saying that, that, that DHS is getting ready for a race war between blacks and whites? What do you make of all this stuff?
3: Um, well, when it comes to that. To the, I guess topic, uh, mm-hmm. why not waste the, the bullets that you they have not already confiscated? But when it comes to like situation like Trayvon Martin, that's nothing but a tactic, you know, divide the people because they don't really talk about the real hate crime that really occur in America. Like a week after the Trayvon Martin incident in Tulsa, Oklahoma, two white guys went on shooting spree, shooting random black people. They don't talk about that. But yeah, right. it, it, it's typical of the of uh, the mainstream media to you know try to you know brainwash people' minds with these lies.
1: Mm-hmm. And what was amazing is, Matt, um, you were down there actually covering the event, Matt number 1. So speak to what was really going on down there with the protests. And was it the media basically blowing all of that out of proportion? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, me and Robert went down
0: there uh, with Trip Hugh from uh, NWO Fighter. And uh, we, we... You know, it was funny as you had people that were um, for Trayvon sitting on the on the Zimmerman side, and, and vice versa. People were talking; there was good conversation. I saw no, you know, and the, and the, and the police were like around all concerned. Sanford, I don't even think witnessed any kind of racial hate crime or anything or any kind of backlash. Really, what you saw was inflated stories coming out of L.A. and Miami, a lot of which turned out to be overinflated or fake. And and the reality is, is the media was pumping it up, and it was just it was just stupid. We went over there and we we just walked around like it, we owned the place, which was kind of fun. But then we did get kicked out of a few places. But no, it was just absolutely ridiculous. The amount, because that's all you heard was, there was just going to be this racial war and this racial tension, and there we didn't witness any of it. I did get a, a lot of attention. It was it was funny, It's because I was wearing my I Record Cop shirts
1: mm-hmm. shirt.
0: And it was like instant credibility in the crowd. People love that shirt. Uh, well, like, if you want to get and, and a lot, we, everywhere you go, wear a shirt that says "I record cops." That's all I'm saying.
1: That's well. That's that's a great way to point that out. So you know, back to um, Daryl, you dropped off and, and came back a little bit. So, you know, give um, give the viewers at home, Daryl, the reason that I got into all this stuff and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because. If we don't educate one another, and we don't look at each other as individuals, and and instead of the collective, like you were saying, they're using it as a divide and conquer method. It, it speak to what that really means when they're when you're talking about lumping a group of people together and then trying to use them off one another. Try to try to explain that to people in in just as layman of the terms as you can possibly get.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, let me simplify it. Uh, when you're dumbed down, they control you that means that you're so dependent on government you don't have i guess you don't have the space to do anything because you're so dependent on them for uh just providing you a food health care shelter and it's like when you're so dependent on when you're dependent on the government, they have full control over over your whole life so it's like they want to control you that's the reason why they're doing what they're doing
1: mm-hmm. So when when we're looking at the broad picture here in America and we're looking at I mean and we are the one of the most unique countries in the world if not the most unique when it comes to different uh, being a melting pot of all times of different people we have to understand that the people that want you know power and control and control the people much like what John Perkins said in his clip talking about how how Saddam Hussein was really good because he he was able to control the people, you do it by creating division or you do it by uniting the people. Now, what we need to do here in America is unite, and once again, it's not about, it's not about race. It's not about what, what kind of government you want, even though everybody's got their ideal government and what they believe that they want. We need to start with just basic fundamentals of returning to law and rule of law. That would be number one for me. The Constitution gives us the framework to do that, and then we can work off of that. So, Josh, what do you say to what I just said um, right there? Oh, the Constitution giving us a frame of law to work off of for a peaceful society? Uh, I
4: don't think you'll uh, find any objection here to that statement, uh, but I do think that the divide-and-conquer methodology is certainly – it's 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 the it's a tool of kings and conquerors, and it's really easy to, to obviously play uh, – play racial or incite racial violence uh among groups uh among the haves and have nots i think one of the one of these uh kind of divisions that we're going to he- start hearing a lot more about is going to be the old versus the young uh i guess a a, a version of the have nots versus the have nots you know mm-hmm. with with most with most elderly populations now approaching uh retirement age having virtually no savings at all you know and a and a and a young job market that 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 is quite frankly non existent with the exception of of minimum wage positions so the the people the next generation that would hypothetically feed into a non existent social security fund uh for these people not not even to mention medicare part a through d uh mm-hmm. you know they're gonna find an empty pot um,
1: mm-hmm.
4: so I, I and that's, I, I what, really and, that's what,
1: and, and that's what Daryl was speaking to when he says that you know if they can control you getting your food if they can control you getting your housing if they can control you getting your health insurance and, and how you care for yourself that is the ultimate control and once again um people in our chat room are right on point we sure it's like um we're slowly being turned into a socialist society which i would i would argue not so much socialism as it is corporatism like we saw in the 1980s with the with the soviets so um matthew um uh, do you care to elaborate and that mat number one well,
0: I, I certainly think
1: that we need to have a goal and if that goal
0: means getting back to the you know, the rule of law and you know, constitution, so to speak, but uh, you know, I have to err um on, on the side of my uh my co host Robert and the rant that he went on about we can do better. I think um we need something better than our constitution. So I think getting back to that point and then improving on what was messed up to begin with. At ultimately, I, I would love to live in a society with zero rulers, zero government, a voluntaristic society where I can go live in this community over here where we decide we don't want a ruler. Hey, and if 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 uh, John Smith over here wants to go live in a socialist community, by all means, as long as their choice of, rule of law doesn't inflict on my choice of no, you know, my choice of rule of law. And I believe my rule of law is better. He believes his rule of law is better. Well, we can make that voluntary choice to do so instead of going, Well, it's a social contract. You were born here, even though you didn't have yeah. any control. Over it. You know, I mean it's kind of it's kind of BS. It's that whole borders bullshit. Yeah.
1: And I think
0: I think that we need, you know, you look at it, the Iroquois Confederation and what they had going was really spot on. I look at Israel I'm not Israel.
1: Dude, I do hell. you just like sleep with Thomas Jefferson's like autobiography or something? I like All right I
0: like Ireland Ireland for like a thousand years before the British screwed it up. They were sure. almost voluntarist uh, terriest, uh, community for a thousand years going so into So you would
1: it. say – so So basically, long story short, and I'm mean, um, kind of shortening it up a little bit. Long story short, you think that we should go back to like sort of a city-state model and rather than what we have now, which is overgrown, overgrown federal government and let the city-states basically choose what, what they would like to do, Correct. Yeah,
0: I think uh, I think that would be the ideal community for anybody. Look, if I want to be a voluntarist and go live in um, New Hampshire, and uh, John Smith chooses to live in New York as a socialist, hey, man, go, by all means, you'd be a socialist over there. <laughs> you know? But guess what? If, if, if my community decides to turn socialism, well, I can go find another very voluntarist community
1: okay all right so um matt number two um what do you what do you make of all that do, do you think that that's a that's a fair way to kind of surmise what we what we probably should be striving for
5: well you know in, in this day and age um you can't not think about it that way. Um, I have a, a little bit of a different perspective. I, I would like to go back to the, the Constitution was, as it was founded, which is, which is pretty much impossible right now. But as I mentioned, as I mentioned before, we we have – believe it or not, in a strange way, we have something going for us. And that's the fact that this uh, – you know, the left right now, it, it, they're really dependent on, on their subjects being ignorant. Um, and not that they're not smart or that they're not educated, they're just completely ignorant. And mm-hmm. when they're put in their place and they're and they're found to be wrong, then they become hypocritical.
1: They, do, you think that, do, you think, do you think that the the reason that that is becoming such a such a di- dividing line, because when you say the left and and you, and I, I'm assuming you mean the authoritarian left, not not true liberals. But do you think that that's because in America we don't really have debates anymore, that we just basically have arguments that nobody – everybody's so steadfast in their belief that they can't have a conversation with a fellow human being and say, I believe this. And instead of somebody listening and processing and then answering, they just basically shut off?
5: Yes. When when I'm talking about the left, I'm talking about the elitist left, and yes, that is exactly what they're willing to do is just shut off. They don't – they don't think. Um, and, but as I said, they're gonna, there's going to be a very hard lesson uh, being learned here very shortly. And mm-hmm. and with this last eight years that I mentioned that things are progressing very quickly now, perhaps if people see the downfall of America and see these horrible things that are going to come to fruition and they can see it in real time right in front of their face, I think mm-hmm. that's our only
1: hope. All okay. right. Daryl, what do you, what I, your ideal society? We're gonna go down the line, Daryl. Your okay. ideal society. What do you, um, what do you, what do you say to what we've been discussing? I know that you, um, you've kind of, you've kind of come the same way that I have. We started out just as basically like Ron Paul supporters and holding up signs in front of the Fed in Atlanta, and now we're we're really getting into um, we'll, we're really getting into um, ideological you know discussions now.
3: Yes, sir. Uh, a couple things, of course. Uh, of course, I'm agreeing to being a super status with you. Um, but uh, earlier somebody spoke about borders. Borders is just a line, another tool used to divide the people. So, yeah.
0: Amen. Uh,
3: yes, sir, of course. Um, but, yeah, I used to be a super-statist, screaming uh, local government, you know, less of this mass police force. And of course, I'm a volunteerist. I believe in, you know, governing your own communities. I believe, you know, we need to get rid of federal government, leave it up to the states, uh, you know create their own laws, and if you don't like your society, you go live
1: in another state. I'm I'm all for it. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, well, shit, we've got America figured out. Let's uh, let's go to Congress. Oh, wait, they can't get anything done. (laughs) Never mind. State it. (laughs) Yeah. Once again, the state it. See, Matt, you guys have really got to get the Status Anonymous stuff done so I can really kind of divulge all my status tendencies because they just they rattle around and ping around in there. Every once in a while, I'll just vomit up status propaganda crap. We are
0: done all the way up through Step 11, man. Step 12 is going to take some production. It's going to be a while. Um, I don't know if you promote
1: out. I don't. I don't know if that's you or Daryl. Hold on, Daryl. Are you. Uh, are you in a wind tunnel?
3: I am driving.
1: Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm gonna mute you for. I'm gonna mute you for a second. Not that we don't love you, man. But hold on. <laughs> uh, honestly, all
4: right, sorry.
0: All right,
1: if if I have
0: you seen the promo that Robert's done for State uh, Status Anonymous Twelve? Sorry, sorry, guys. Before we move
4: on, if I could jump in yeah. for a second. Uh, no. I think some.
0: Josh. Josh. No. <laughs>
4: No, because I, I, I really want to talk about this. I think something profoundly interesting just happened when we were, uh, you know, giving our ideal, uh, you know, I guess prescriptions for our societal ills. Um, you know, Matt and and Daryl obviously lean toward more towards the uh, the voluntarist uh, kind of kind of spectrum, whereas Matt, our, our other caller, is, is talking about you know hijacking these, in my in my opinion, illegitimate uh, monopolies of state power to use them to restrict monopolies of state power, which is a little bit oxymoronic in my opinion. But right. uh, we, we really have to get down to the, to the brass tacks, to use uh, an ironic term here, um, on, on tactics of revolution, on tactics of usurping uh, glo- uh, globalist control, you know, because these are two diametrically different ways of of stopping of stopping an empire. One requires a lot of time and effort spent, in my opinion, wasted in the political arena. Whereas the other one is more of an agorist kind of tilt to things, where where you do get back to roots, back to community, start trading in in, in different currencies, start bartering, start creating local economies, because that's really the only way that 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 salvation can be reached here. Because I, I do agree with our caller that the only thing. That is really going to change uh, the, the current spectrum is is a kind of massive catalyzing event or, or even a slow creep towards uh, towards uh, e- economic destitution. Mm-hmm. And once that's we a good way that, to put it, exactly. And once once we reach that point, uh, and and uh, to use a, a prepper phrase, I guess, shit hits the fan. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. You know,
4: that there really is only one kind of structure that there, there are two structures that will be left. There will be uh, the state. Uh, and whatever kind of institution and, and and action that they bring against people uh, once once things get bad, and obviously I don't think that that will be anything good. Or there mm-hmm. are self organized small communities, small groups that 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 have uh, a sense of community, a sense of values, and and, and apply to the non, to the non aggression principle. And those are really going to be the pockets of civilization that survive any kind of. Coming, catalyzing events. So I think it's really important that people read uh, things like Samuel Edward the III and, uh, and Agorist Primer and, and start to get out of this this mindset that we can hijack the the reins of state power to bring about change. Because oh, change dude, it's,
1: it's it's way too far gone now. I mean, you it, look. Why, at,
4: it, it, yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting. In my in my opinion, the the the, the, the Constitution is deliberately uh, set up for a situation like this. Uh, where, where it could be easily corrupted uh, if uh, if banker occupation were to take hold, and obviously it did shortly after uh, the ratification of the Constitution in 1879.
0: So, um, well, let, me, let me interject real quick, Josh.
4: No,
1: uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ahead, I man. don't.
0: I, I believe that we are to a point where it's getting it's it's getting closer to too late. Um, but I don't think it is too late. I think, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think it's going to be a slow po- process. And, uh, I mean, it's not definitely not going to happen in my lifetime. It might not even happen in Max's lifetime. But I think the youth is where it goes, man. I mean, I see, And uh, look, Ron Paul retired, and the man still, and I, I hate bringing up this point, because I know a lot of people have angst towards Ron Paul, blah, 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 But the point is, is that there's still people in this nation coming to this realization of, of volunteerism and, uh, and, you know, this belief that they can do better than a state. Is because he's literally thousands of people still flock to see this guy at school campuses, and we're not talking about the same students that were there a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. They're new students, they're fresh students, and there's. And I think that because of technology, I, I believe in the technology theory that philosophies are going to change, borders are going to fall because of other people and other nations. You mean you look at what's going on in Brazil? Um, I think it was Brazil where they're protesting. There's a there's a huge, mm-hmm. I, I, libertarian. Uh, faction growing there uh, and and I think that philosophy, and it might take 100 years it might take 150 years, but I do and and maybe you're right, Josh, maybe it's going to take a fall of the state in order to make that change, or it could just turn around slowly and move back, but I think that it could happen either way, it just depends on how far we let this go M- Matt, honestly,
4: I think this is where we kind of get into an ideological conflict uh, with, with regards to uh, perspective on history uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't know if, if you're familiar with the Roads Roundtable, uh, Cecil Rhodes, the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes. If you're familiar with the theories of John Ruskin, how that all ties into the eugenics agenda. Uh, no. I see. Josh,
0: I have I a lot. I don't read as many books as you. <laughs> all,
4: all, 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 I'm, all I'm saying <laughs> is okay,
0: that, okay, that.
1: Okay, 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 okay. All right, all right, all right. Josh, you've got the floor for two minutes. Give everybody the once over on Cecil Rhodes, the Eugenicist, and the entire global eugenics agenda. For, and once again, this is not conspiracy theory, everybody. This is alternative theory to your state-run propaganda.
4: Oh my goodness, uh, two minutes. Uh, well, or you uh, keep
1: going until I tell you to shut up, or I mute you. One of the two.
4: <laughs> Cecil John Rhodes was uh, a. Oh, where where was where did he originate from? Anyways, he was a student of John Ruskin who was uh, a eugenicist. Uh, he was a big fan of the, of the Darwin and Huxley family, uh, who essentially said that uh, Europe had the greatest culture, the greatest genetic diversity, uh, they should be spread throughout the world, and the barbarians should be limited in population and scope. Um, and Cecil Rhodes, uh, his student, who was also the, uh, the guy who started the De Beers diamond empire uh, with uh, Oppenheimer in South Africa, the largest diamond find in the world at the time, leveraged his fortune into creating a secret society called the Rhodes Roundtable at the behest of his old tutor, uh, John Ruskin, a- in which he outlined essentially a plan for global control uh, through y- use of institutions like the Council on Foreign Relations, like Chatham House, in In Great Britain, uh, like the International Monetary Fund uh, to to essentially propagate white the white race throughout all of planet earth um, and this this obviously ties back into a, into a lot of other agendas, but you can read about it in a book called Tragedy and Hope Written by Georgetown Professor Carol Quigley, who's sort of an inside man, uh, a historian of sorts for this secret society. He, he was uh he was he staunchly believed in its plan, his only opposition was that they wished to remain secret, whereas he thought in the nineteen forties that their plan was already so far along that no one could stop it um and and that it was so well engineered that they should just tell people because he was a good uh good schoolboy. But uh, mm-hmm. so so Matt, I guess on that on that primary point, I, I, I guess I completely disagree with you. This system was not set up for you and me. Hierarchical power-driven structures have never been set up for for I guess to, I hate to use the term, but working class individuals. Um, whether it be ed, whether it be the education system or the reins of government, these these systems are are not set up to to be hijacked.
1: They, okay. All right, so um, Matt, your your rebuttal, and then I'm gonna go to Daryl real quick.
0: Well I I just actually I wanna follow up Josh with a question. Josh, are you saying that um that we will never experience freedom and voluntarism? Um, or are you saying that you don't think it'll happen peacefully, you'll think it'll happen violently?
4: I'm saying none of the above. I, I'm saying that if we are going to experience a catalyzing event, it will be a Soviet style hyperinflation crash. Uh, the Soviet Union managed to sort things out very quickly because the one monopolistic o- piece of ownership, the state, uh, crashed. So, so yep. everyone kind of, you know, the the property kind of fell where it where everyone was sitting at the moment. So you didn't have to work out these issues. But I I, I think that we have to start creating, uh, you know, communities, I- I- intentional communities, uh, right now locally that that can usurp the state if it ever loses power. So because I think that's right, the so way. You,
1: Perfect. And so Daryl, what are you, your thoughts on um what Josh said and, and is agorism is going to be the cure oh. to what ails us here in the United States?
3: That is the only way to end the federal government by using bitcoins, mining hours, gold, silver, stop feeding this federal this federal government by using fiat currency, federal reserve banknotes. He's on point. He's on yeah, point. Yeah,
1: man. Yep. That, I, you know, I, I, that,
3: that is one way. The other way is, you know, we can all get fed up and run up in City Hall. Either way, I'm, I'm all for the non-aggressive principle route, and I'm mm-hmm. all for for getting violent because I'm fucking fed up. Like I'm pissed <laughs> off, bro. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tired of being raped by the man. But, I, know,
0: I I am agree. too. I think John certainly agreed with me. Is the fact that I think that it, it's going to be a social turnaround, whether it happens by a global collapse, or uh, or it just happens over time. It's going to happen by our own doing, by us uh, creating the community we want to live in.
4: Well, I think that that's why the
0: timetable
4: is escalating, quite frankly, Uh, because if they do let this continue to be a slow creep and crawl, there are too many people that know about it anymore. It's easy. It's easy to identify these things ahead of time now. And when they do when they do come around, it's easy to get even more people angry. You know, every time a story like like the Snowden story breaks, more and more people get pissed off and join our ranks. Yep. They, have to, they have to escalate this plan, and with that escalation comes chaos and disorder. And, and I'm, I'm just saying that I don't envision a scenario where things don't get hypothetically violent or overtly tyrannical within the next 10 to 15 years. That's all okay. I'm saying.
1: Perfect. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Now, I'm going to read a quick article here, guys, and then I want everybody's take on it very quickly and talk about the dangers that we could face. I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs. This comes from. Uh, this comes from. Hold on, I gotta mute Daryl because he's driving. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's all right. No, that's all right, man. We'll pull you back up here in a second. All right. So it says. Uh, this is from the Daily Mail. It says, "Could we soon be reading people's minds? Software uses brain scans to identify exactly what people are looking at." And basically, the article talks about. It shows a picture, and I will. Um, gosh, I guess all you guys are my Skype friends, so I'll send it to you. Everybody will get to see it, other than Daryl. So um, basically, it shows an image of God. Technology is so awesome. I get to share information at an instant's notice, and you guys get to look at exactly what I'm looking at. So, in essence, it shows a picture of the word brains, and then it shows what your how your brain sees it. Obviously, your brain's going to see it backwards because of the the way that your iris is set up, and then your brain's got to process it and flip everything upside down. So, but what it does is are we really going to move towards this? And and this is what, I think this is what, um, this is what Jake and I talked about on the last podcast. And I'm going to let everybody answer for like two minutes and then we can go into overtime if we need to and I can cut this stuff down because this is just in, in a riveting conversation. And if, you, if you're listening to us live, thanks for listening. If you want to hear the overtime, if we do go into overtime, be sure to download the podcast. But is it, Is it a preconditioned response for us to see movies like Elysium and see all these dystopic movies? Is it priming the pump for civilization, showing them? Remember a movie that came out ten years ago called Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf that basically had all this technology and everybody's like, oh, there's no way. There's no way they can do that. And then it turns out that he had a CIA guy with him that's like, here, let me pull up a, a conversation you had with your girlfriend, you know, 12, twelve years ago, and it was him, you know, you know, playing hanky panky with his girlfriend over the phone. So, is this something that we're going? Is this something that's going to be a detriment or an asset to society? I see this as a complete detriment and almost like a 1984 scenario. And I'll go to a, I'll go to Daryl first. What do you What do you make of this, Daryl? Hold on. There you go. You're up. Daryl, are you there? I think we lost him. Alright, I'm gonna leave him up just in case he comes back. Uh Matt, number one, you are uh, you got the mic, man. What do you think? Do you think this is um dystopia nineteen eighty four or is this progress? I think um I'm here. I think we're oh, there's Daryl. Hey Daryl, do you wanna comment on what I just read to you? That um that they yeah, okay, actually. Yes, got... yeah, I
3: apologize. I, I was getting a, a phone call from in the studio. Yeah, man. Uh, never put it past our government to create technology to you know try to control people, and you know they put bits and pieces in the movie to you know try to get people to say, oh, that's crazy, you know, you know that's a conspiracy, you know, no, no, that that can never be when they're really creating techn- technology like that. They got fucking lasers on dolphins now, bro. The awesome power <laughs> thing is. <crazy. laughs>
1: amen, amen. All right, so that's that's Daryl's take. And once again, Daryl, never trusting the state. How how dare you, Daryl? After they came and lovingly knocked your door in, and, and while you were on air with me, which was which was absolutely bonkers. But um, Matt, what do you, what's your take?
0: Well, I certainly agree with uh, Daryl. You don't trust the state with with that kind of power. Um, whether they're able to implement in any kind of dystopian state because of something like this. I I err on the side of eh. I don't know. I don't think that. I don't think we're at that point where people just bend over and say, okay, just do whatever the hell you want now. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. think we're at that. I think that this, if this technology is coming out now, it it's gonna have to lie and wait for any kind of use like that. You show me, but you show me any kind of technology the government brings up, and I'll show you a free market that uses it better, like uh, that deliver beer.
1: amen amen like a drone that delivers beer that was beautiful well put um josh you're up
0: well no hold on let me make one. one Oh, go ahead and finish up finish up man Uh, you would you you could have this kind of technology and use it in like a hospital maybe like a uh a a victim who not a victim but um, someone who's in a coma and maybe talk to them or you know find out what's going in their head so there's always a use for these things it's just a matter of (laughs) If this technology gets into the mainstream, um, mm-hmm. to which it, it, it renders it useless for the government to use it, and it becomes a free market item.
1: Excellent. All right. Uh, that was a really great point, man. I, I would have never gone there. That was awesome. All right. So, Josh, you're up. I
4: mean, obviously, I view all of this as absolute predictive programming, and I certainly agree with math analysis as well. Uh, I think, you know, I actually got drugged to see Elysium the other day, and it's a, it's a very uh, – Kind of scary future that they envision for us, uh, to say the least, but uh, I think that you know one of the one of my favorite examples of predictive programming in movies is is Minority report because I think it's such an apt example in, in that many of the technologies have already come to fruition. Uh, mm-hmm. You know there was a, there was an IBM ad just a couple of years ago where it literally showed the the existence of pre. It was an IBM ad to to add to more irony. Um, it was a <laughs> that show. Yeah, exactly. If you know the, anything about the history of IBM, you'll get that joke. But um, uh, there's a, a cop using IBM software to literally predict where this criminal is going to show up, yep. and mm-hmm. he shows up to rob the convenience store, and the cops already waiting there with a donut. Sa- says hi to him. So it's it's presenting pre-crime as this friendly kind of uh, kind of process, and it was outlined in Minority Port, Report ten years before. Um, sure. a, a, but but I think e- an even more apt point on, on Minority Report, uh, or pragmatic point I guess to make, is that um, Steven Spielberg actually did network in 1999 with uh, 15 experts. It was a panel. I forget the exact name of it, but there were it was a bunch of. Um, CEOs uh, and and engineers from technology companies. I believe there were some military consultants there as well. And he sat down with essentially 15 of the greatest minds in the world, uh, some of them from the military, and he said, tell me what the world will look like in 2054. Uh, And they wrote this big, big document, and uh, again, I forget exactly what it's called, um, but some of these big names like Lexus and Nokia and, and obviously DARPA, who were involved in the script writing process of these technologies that make it into the movie are now responsible for rolling those technologies out. So, it is a form of predictive programming and it is a it is it is a way to 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 lull people into a sense of complacency as technocracy involves every aspect of their lives.
1: Amen. So, my my whole point on this and then we're going to end the show. Thank you everybody for, you know, for calling in and weighing in with your comments. But my thing is I see this as a trend towards the completely open society, whether that's going to be a detriment to society or whether it's going to be a benefit. There's not going to be any more secrets anymore. There's going to be too much technology. We're going to have too much access to information, and you're not going to be able to cheat on your wife anymore. I'm sorry, people. You're not going to be able to do anything else like that. That's where society might trend but we have to make sure that the right people are driving the bus and not the globalist scumbags that are driving the bus right now. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Tune in next Tuesday, 9 until 11. Thanks to my guest, Josh. Thanks to Matt, number one, and number two. And as always, thanks to my boy, Daryl Young, from Adam vs. the Man. Once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, everybody. And we're about to go into extra time if you guys want to do it. You guys want to do extra time? I'm always down. I right, think you down? I, yeah, I can do a little while. I have
0: um, homework to get to, but yeah, I can oh, do a little. Yeah.
1: While. All right, let's do 5 minutes. Let's see if let's see so if <laughs> Well, I mean, we can we, everybody everybody will get your everybody will get their piece. Let me see if Daryl is there. Um I'm still spinning on him right, him right now. Yeah. Unmute right. my guy. Ah, come on, man. All right, so let's uh let's get into that. Daryl, what do you do you think that 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 could be a possibility, is for us to move to a completely transparent society.
3: Dude, anything is possible nowadays, bro. <laughs> That's the <a> scary part.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's either good or evil, and I hate to you know make it in terms of just you know uh, third grader, I guess third grade grammar, but that that is really what it is. You could either use this to empower society, or you can use it to destroy society. So um, another
3: conspiracy is mercenary candidates. They don't ever exist. Yeah. Conspiracy theorists.
1: <laughs> Do what now? What what was this? Mercenary candidates, they don't exist. Sleeper agents, oh, they're just no, you never you, you never you never fund people like Barack Obama and get them in there to absolutely wipe their ass with the Constitution and then talk about how he's this great constitutional scholar. I mean what a what a joke. All right, but Matt so what's up? he's a great father figure. Yeah, yeah, and and his dog gets to ride around on its own helicopter. But you can't go visit the White House, everybody. It's closed off. Forget it. All right, so, um, Matt, your closing thoughts, man. I'll give you guys uh, two, three minutes, however long you want. Just uh, closing thoughts for what we've talked about tonight and anything you want to leave the audience with um, before we shut it down.
0: Well, um, you know, my thoughts are is, is regardless of which direction – uh, we're heading in god forbid it's the one we don't want the best advice i can give to anybody is con- you know continue to live free now enjoy your life and live you know like daryl said become agorist opt out of the system if you can um other than that uh never give up the fight keep fighting but have fun doing it um and i'm just gonna you know kind of what you know Robert and I do and then uh I'll move on to Josh. Uh folks if you get a chance check us out at journalisticrevolution dot com. There you can find our times and air dates for when we go live on uh Liberty Movement dot com and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter,
1: uh YouTube, and also folks we have a Google app. Yep, yeah. and um they do they do have some really, really fun shows to listen to guys and um I, I sometimes will pop in there and Add my two cents, and Trip Pugh will pop in and add his two cents. But you guys do great work over there, man. I can't um, I can't express enough what you guys do, and and I can't express my gratitude enough for what Daryl does up there with Adam versus the Man, basically keeping the entire. The entire ship afloat. I know a little bit of the inside baseball, and Daryl is basically running around with a bunch of gum and, you know, baling wire, as they say here in Georgia, bubble gum and baling wire, and just keeping the ship afloat. So we salute you, man. It's um it's incredible work you're doing up there. So, uh, Josh, you got to uh, you got to uh, you got the floor, man. Go ahead and wrap it up.
4: Oh man, I guess a uh, final point. I would just like everyone to. Really actively work to wake people in your local community up to what's going on and network with already aware people Um, because the Internet uh, is an awesome tool and you should use it while it exists. But uh, we have to remember that not only the Internet, but Tor is based on foundations from ARPANET, is based on foundations from major universities, Rockefeller Institute funding and the Navy uh, so don't assume that these technologies will be around forever. Uh, the best way uh, to to really get in touch with people is still talking to them face to face, getting to know them, uh, exchanging goods and services with them, and just and just being active. Uh, I my website is www.cerebralindustrialcomplex.com. Uh, it actually hasn't been updated in a while, and I'm kind of in a bit of a transitional phase. But while you, if you if you do go there, you can find a podcast that has uh, currently over. Uh, 15 hours i believe of essentially a, a, a practical roadmap for reality as opposed to unreality so i would suggest that uh people check it out if, if they want a really uh in-depth analysis of some of the situations that we've been talking about tonight hey josh
0: hey, hey, hey. Do, you, do you want Go to ahead. announce tonight the, what possibly might be
4: coming down the pipe for you Oh, sure thing. Uh, I mean, I I think that a lot of this transitional phase is about kind of incorporating my efforts directly into what Journalistic Revolution is doing, uh, kind of inadvertently joining the crew over there. And um, I'm actually in pre-production right now for a documentary series that's actually going to be interviewing uh, whistleblowers and people I think are important uh, throughout uh, essentially America. Uh, and and really and driving around and flying around and and getting the stories that the mainstream media refuses to to package for you and pre- presenting them in a in a professional high production quality way where you know you could show it to to your crotchety old uncle and pay attention. I don't know. At least that's my intention.
1: <laughs> Daryl, what do you want to leave the audience with, man? I know you work. Um, you only work like what, like two hours a day? You're just cruising, man. No, by the way, that's that's how much I've you, that's how much you sleep. sleep lately, my that's way, girl, that's what I meant. That's how much <laughs> you sleep. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> but, yeah, man, it's your boy, Cripper, Ron Paul. I always say your favorite freedom fighter, favorite freedom fighter, thugging it everywhere. Adam Berthman, uh Adam Kokesh, manager, current, I guess, host of the show since he's throwing the can in a cage, you know, however you wish to phrase it, adamburstmann.com is his official website. Uh, go to universalman. dot com slash invest if you wish to donate to his commissary or to keep his operation going. That's it, bro. It's your boy, we're not cattle. That's not it, cattle. man. You know, don't choose like cattle. We're not
1: the bitch. I that's am not <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: that
1: is that is it, man. And um and for all of you that can, and for all of you that have the time, and I don't want to hear that you don't have time. If you've ever followed any of Adam's work, do what I started to do today, and that's write the guy a letter, send him some information. The guy's stuck in solitary write him some write him a letter, Tell him you want to give him a nice you know big government hug when he gets out and um you know just just try to give the guy some spirits. lift his spirits up. I know Daryl said he saw him and he was in good spirits, but that's got to be hell on earth, man, to be isolated from everybody else and and just and having to do this all because he was trying to do something to preserve our rights for all of us so. That's my that's my two cents at the end of the show. Thanks everybody for joining. Thank you guys for uh, for chiming in and um, and weighing in on all the topics we talked about. And uh, once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, everybody. And um, follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle. The number one. You can go to my YouTube channel. We are not cattle TV. If you want to see what it takes to be an activist or what it takes to be involved, watch my little banner wave um video. All you gotta do is get you um about fifteen dollars worth of material from Office Depot, Office Max or your local staples or whatever, or if you have a local if you have a local um I guess shop that does printing signs or whatever, go support them as well and just get a marker and stand out and wave it around and um and try to wake some people up. So get a friend, get like informed, and get activist. involved. In. <laughs> Say what?
3: I'm so like a crazy activist. Got to get started. Oh yeah, yeah. Because
1: wow. we're we're all crazy. We're crazy like a fox, and we're crazy for liberty. Everybody. That's it. That's it for the show. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Everybody. Peace, love, and liberty.